0: Good morning, please take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 John, the epistle of 1 John beginning at chapter 2, we'll read on through verses 1 through 6, 1 John chapter 2 verses 1 through 6, my little children I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this uh, Lord's Day morning. Uh, Lord, it is a new day. Lord, it's a day that you created for us, a day for us to enjoy to enjoy, to worship you. And uh, Father, we just ask, Lord, that as we meet together today, Lord, please stimulate our minds and our hearts to be be hearers and receivers of your word, that we might have uh, intellectual understanding, but also, Lord, that uh, uh, your Holy Spirit will, will work in our hearts, Father, that our hearts would... Be receptive, not only just to hear, but Lord, to be obedient to what Your Word has to say. Lord, bless this church. Bless our search committee as they prepare weekly, Father, and looking at resumes and and trying to decide and uh, find out what Your will might be. And they're calling a pastor to serve in this church. But Lord, we bless You for right now. Lord, be with us in our message, our Sunday school to follow, our services to one another through this week. In Christ's name, amen. So before we begin to look at our text for today, uh, we need to go back to chapter 1 for just a brief moment. Look at chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. And in those verses in chapter 1, we need to take a look at what John has written concerning Sin, you know, we talk about sin a lot. Uh, you know, I, I, I tell people, if it wasn't for sin, I'd be out of a job. So I think I got job security as, as long as there's sin in the world. Uh, but, you know, John says, John talks a lot about sin in that first chapter. He says, you know, if we say that we have no sin, we're making God out to be a liar. But listen to this. In verse 8, he says, all of us sin. In verse 9, he says, sin is to be confessed. And in verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we're saying to God that he's not telling the truth. His word is his word and he is not just giving us the right info. It's kind of like fake news. But uh, so we need, we need to keep this in mind as as we look at First John. And, and in fact, uh, in the next couple of weeks when we get into verses 15, 16, and 17, we're going to really spend a lot of time in those verses. And it is about the fact that many of us, we fall in love with the things of this world. And we get so attached to the things of this world that sometimes, you know, you know Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. And, and I And they follow me, but there's such a cacophony of noise in this world uh, from what we see and what we hear and and and, and the cultural setting that we live in today and, and and what the news what the news portrays and what we what we experience in, in one avenue or another through this culture uh, there 's so much noise out there in this world sometimes it 's hard to pick god 's voice up. We need to really be in tune with what god says i want to I want to encourage yons uh, every day you get up every day you get up if if you like i get up at, on Sundays I get up between three and four o 'clock in the morning that 's just my habit i 've been doing it for years, but normally I sleep a little bit longer than that, but uh, I want to encourage you if you have to go to work at six o 'clock in the morning what then if you get up at 5, then get up at 4.30. Spend your first half hour with God, uh, reading, reading His, His Word in, in prayer and reading a devotional book of some kind. Get, your, get yourself in tune with God because it, it is God who's going to bring you through that day. There, there is so much noise out there, folks. Please understand, there's so much noise out there that we need to hear what God has to say to us. So then... Keeping the thought about sin in mind, Uh, we we come to our text for today. And look at verse 1, that John is urging us to avoid any occasion to sin. However, he is fully aware, and you are fully aware, that uh, that, that there are times we are going to yield to sin. He writes, and, and he says, and if anyone sins. But being honest with ourselves, you know and I know that we are going to sin. You know, you wake up in the morning, just as sure as you're breathing air, you're going to sin. It's going to happen. So, God, knowing that we're all going to sin, has made a provision for us. Now, we talked a little bit about this last week. God has made a provision for us, and He's given us Jesus Christ. So, John writes uh, concerning that, that Jesus Christ is the righteous one. So, then, what does John teach us in regard to our sin and Jesus Christ? What happens when we sin? Does God get mad at us? You know, and, and I, I've, I've heard people say, you know, when I sin that, that, that God takes a two-by-four and slams it upside my head. Well, I don't think God really does that. I always would be having knots this big on the side of our heads. Does God really do that? Does God really get mad at us when we sin? Does God punish us when we sin? What does God do when we sin? Well, here's three things that we're told in in verses 1 and 2. Number one, that Jesus Christ is our advocate. Number two, that Jesus Christ is righteous. And number three, that Jesus Christ is a propitiation for our sins. Now, that, that, that we know for sure. That we know for sure, that Jesus Christ is our advocate, that Jesus Christ is righteous, and Jesus Christ is a propitiation for our sins. But I want to focus on, especially this morning, we'll talk about all three of these just briefly, but especially I want to talk more about Jesus being our advocate. I've mentioned to you before about Jesus being our propitiation, and by that I mean that Jesus bore our sins on the cross, and that Jesus also bore His Father's wrath on the cross. All for, all, all for us in our place. You know, the, the, the Greek word there is, 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 is pair. In our behalf, in our stead, in our place. Jesus died in our place. Hupere is the Greek word. He died for us. He died for us in our place as a substitute, propitiation. But let's take a look at this word advocate. The word advocate comes from the Greek word parakletos. And it means one who is called alongside. When you, if you were ever to go to court and, and they say that you've got to have an attorney. Well, that attorney, he or she comes along and they, they sit beside you, one who's called alongside of you. So that attorney pleads your cause and your case for you, doesn't he or she. That's what they do. And that's what they get paid to do. And that's what they want to do. And you're hoping that, that when you get an attorney, you get somebody really good like Perry Mason or somebody like that that never loses or, or, or Matlock. You know, you want somebody really good. One who's called alongside to assist another who is in need. And notice also that in John chapter, uh, in, in John's gospel, chapter 16, In John's Gospel, chapter 16, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as the parakletos. Jesus is the parakletos, and the Holy Spirit is the parakletos, one who's called alongside. But why why do we have Jesus and the Holy Spirit, both as the parakletos, as one who's called alongside, as our attorney, as our lawyer? Why do we have both of them? Well, here's what we have. The Holy Spirit is the Paracletos in a sense that he pleads Christ's cause to a hostile, evil, wicked world. Now, you all know that we live in a very difficult time. A very difficult time. We have we have rioting and looting and killing and 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 harming people. It is everywhere. It is rampant in our community. It is pandemic. If you think that COVID is bad, well, this is a whole lot worse. Violence is everywhere. So we have in this hostile world, we still have the working of the Holy Spirit, and He is called alongside who who comes who comes and and goes to a hostile world and 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 is the paracletos, he's the comforter, he's the advocate who pleads the cause of Christ in a hostile world. However, when we talk about Jesus in John's epistle being the paracletos or our advocate, he pleads our cause against our accuser. You and I have an accuser. If you are a Christian, you have somebody who accuses you. In Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10, the Bible reads, The accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. Who, he who accuses them before our God day and night. Listen, the accuser accuses you before God day and night. It is constant. There is a, there's a constant barrage of complaint to God about how you and I act. Our attitudes, our behavior, our thoughts, everything. All that we do that, is, that robs God of His glory is taken before God. And we are accused before God because we are a sinful people. One other thing I'd like for us to note in verse 1. The word with. Little preposition word with. And in this context it means this: to face, to face the Father." Do you see that in verse one? He says, "We have an advocate with the Father." That means our advocate with you and with the accuser, faces the Father. You stand before God, not, not in a physical sense, but in, in your, and spiritually, you stand before God spiritually. And your accuser accuses you. And Christ, your advocate, stands there and pleads your cause. And you are facing the Father with your sin. So when you say, well, no, nobody will ever know. Nobody will ever know. Have you ever taken anything that doesn't belong to you? you find some money somewhere and you pick it up and take it knowing that it's not yours. uh, What do you do with it? You go to work. You say, you know what? They got a thousand of these ink pens. I'll just take that. Is that yours? Oh, so, Pastor, come on! It's just so petty. There's nothing petty about taking what does not belong to you. You're robbing God of the glory that is due Him. When I was in the Navy, I spent many years in the Navy. It wasn't a Navy. One of the worst crimes you can ever, ever, ever commit in the Navy is stealing from your shipmate. That is, that is the biggest no-no in the Navy is stealing something that belongs to your shipmate. But we do things and we think that, oh, nobody knows, nobody cares. But God does. God does. We face the Father. We face the Father with our accuser and with our advocate by our sides. When we are out of fellowship with God due to sin. Listen, I said, when, when you and I are out of fellowship due to sin, I didn't say that we're out of salvation. I said when we're out of fellowship, we, we're not losing our salvation, but when, you, when fellowship is broken between you and God, it is Christ who is our advocate, who pleased our cause, but not on any sense that we merited any favor it's not because we're really good people. It is solely on the basis of the blood that Christ shed on our behalf. The Greek word pair" on our behalf, Christ shed his blood for you. Every, every little pittance of a sin that is committed, every little, I don't care how small it is. When I was growing up in a Catholic church, they said, oh, that's just a venial sin. Folks, listen venial or mortal, it is a sin, it is wrong, it robs God of the glory due Him. Why do we do this? When we say things about people and it hurts them, it is we're robbing God of the glory due Him. When we, when we do something to others, we're robbing God of the glory that is due Him. When we have Lustful thoughts, we're robbing God of the glory that is due him. When we tell a lie, we're robbing God of the glory that is due him. When we're angry at somebody, we're robbing God of the glory that is due him. When we're disobedient to our parents, we're robbing God of the glory that is due him. When we take God's name in vain, like OMG. I I hear that constantly. Like it's the new thing, the, the cultural craze, OMG. We're robbing God of the glory that is due Him. We're robbing God of the glory that is due Him. Every time we do, even the smallest, the smallest little infraction of sin goes before God. And the accuser accuses you before the Father day and night. It's all, oh, Pastor. Aren't you getting a little bit off the deep end? No. No. Everything that we do, that that opposes what God's word says, God has given us a moral law. It's called the Ten Commandments. Any one of those things. When God ceases to be a priority in your life, you're robbing God of the glory that's due Him. So when, not if, we sin. Our advocate, Jesus Christ, faces the Father and our accuser brings charges against us. Now listen. Listen. The charge is never challenged. The charge is never challenged. But Christ, our advocate, acknowledges the sin that we've committed. And it is then determined that our sin. Listen, it is determined that our, as a believer, when you sin, it is then determined that our sin, that is the sin of all, of all the believers, has been paid for in the cross of Jesus Christ. It's been paid for. When the accuser accuses you and the advocate stands alongside of you and you face the Father, Jesus says, the blood, my blood, has paid for this person's sin. It's been paid for. It's been paid for. The Greek word is huper. I paid for on behalf of that person. I paid for that sin. I it in my body and God's anger toward that sin was poured out upon me. It's been paid for. I love that verse in the song, that great hymn of the faith that says, My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Friends, listen. Listen. Jesus Christ died the death that was both the payment of our sins as well as taking upon himself the anger of the father towards sin. He's that's propitiation. And all the while he did not sin himself. We read in Hebrews 4:15 for we do not have a high priest who cannot uh, sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet Without sin. I I don't, listen folks, not a person in this world ever has ever lived apart from Jesus Christ who has not sinned. All of us have sinned. We all come short of God's glory. Every single one of us. Christ's effective work on the cross is still just as active today as it was 2,000 years ago. So our standing with God is never on the fact that we have not sinned or that we've done more good than bad in our lives God doesn't say, well, let me see, there's a lot of good here and there's some bad, but there's more good than bad, so I guess, no, God doesn't, God doesn't make reservations in glory based on how good you are. Our standing with God is simply based upon one thing and one thing only. Listen, your standing with God is based upon one thing and one thing only. In 1 John 4, 10, we read this, and this is love, not that we Listen, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. You say, Pastor, is this propitiation for everybody? You know, that's a real technical theological question. Let me be perfectly clear. I'm going to tell you what Charles Haddon Spurgeon said. If Jesus died for you, if He bore your sins, if He took upon Him His Father's wrath in your place, then you belong to Him. He is the Savior for the whole world. For the whole world, not just Jewish people, not just german people not just spanish people not just italian people not just people who are from hungary or france or whatever a country but for people all over this world there are listen you you have got brothers and sisters all over this world and jesus is a propitiation for their sins and for your sins because you have put your trust in him Verse 3, verse 3, look at this. He says, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. So here we come to a basic question regarding Christianity. And here's the question. How can I be sure that I am in a right standing with God? How can I know that I'm in a right standing with God? The, The most fundamental aspect Please please note this in your your minds. The most fundamental aspect of the Christian faith is is one thing. You know what that is? Obedience. The most fundamental aspect of Christianity is obedience. As I stated many, 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 many times before in, in, in the time I've been here. There must be, there must be a mental... A mental and moral change in a person's life. If they say that they're a Christian, there has got to be a mental and moral change in their life. You want to, you desire to be obedient to God's will. If a person says they're a Christian, but they have no desire to be obedient to God's will, something is wrong. You cannot be a Christian and say, I don't care what God says. I just know that I've asked Jesus into my life and that's enough. I'm not worried about anything else. Folks, let me tell you something. If you have no desire to follow the will of God in your life, there is a problem The most fundamental aspect is obedience, obedience, that you want to. Paul even says in Romans chapter 7, he says, I want to do what's right, but my flesh doesn't let me. But I want to do. I want to. I ought to. I need to. I have to. But it says, but I mess up. Over and over and over again. You find that in Romans chapter 7. What is the desire of your heart? Do you want to be obedient to God? Do you want to follow His will? Do you, you want to say, God, this is what you want from me, and I'm to the best that I can, and this is what I'm going to do. So how does one know that this is certain? That what I just said is certain. Look, look at verse 3. Let's put it in the form of a question. And we'll make the verse a, 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 an interrogative question. Statement. How can we know that we have come to know Him? The word know, look at verse three, says, By this we know. The word know is the Greek word gnosko. You say, Well, I don't care. It's important that you understand this because if you want to know the scripture, let me just tell you what it says there. The Greek word for know is gnosko. And the word Gnosko in the Greek means to experience, to experience. There's another Greek word for know, and that is the word oida. There's gnosko and there's oida, two words for the word know. We have one word for the word know. So what's the difference here? To know oida is to know something intellectually, up here. I know it up here. Let me tell you about my golf game. I know, Oida, that I'm supposed to stand a certain way, come back a certain way, keep my knees bent a certain way focus a certain way, not lift up my head. I I understand all those principles. But Steve, you, because you were with me, guess what? I might know it, but do I experience that all the time? No, 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 no. Because when I hit that ball, if it's supposed to go toward the Christian flag over there, it might end up over there where Bill's at. I know something intellectually, but experientially it's not happening. Gnosko means that I know by experience. I know by experience what a hole in one is. No, I don't. I know by experience what a triple bogey is. I do know that. But I know oida. I know intellectually that my ball is supposed to go in that hole. I know that, but I've not experienced that. You see the difference? So the Greek word here, to know that we have come to know him, is the Greek word gnosko, to know by experience. So listen, verse 3 has the word know, and it means to, to, to know him by experience. We know him by experience when we do what? When we keep His commandments. We might know up here. But have you experienced in here? In your life, have you experienced? Do you know Him here? Here. Do you know Him here? You may know Him here. Oida but gnosko is from here so pastor what commandments are we supposed to keep okay I want to be obedient what am I supposed to keep now during Jesus last days here on earth just the day prior the night prior to his crucifixion he gave his disciples at least six commands or precepts that he wanted them to to both know and do he wanted them to know them and also experience them. And here are the six things that Jesus gives. I'm going to give you eight things, but here's a six just from that last supper. Okay, in John chapter 13, verses 13 through 17, he tells his disciples, "He says, I want you to serve one another. Are you serving one another, you disciples of Jesus? Are you serving one? Are you serving?" Are you serving? Are you coming alongside somebody? In chapter 13, 34, and 35, he says, listen, I want you to love one another. Not, not love eros, but love agape. Do you love them in a sacrificial way? He says, listen, I'm here to help you. I want to be with you. I'm want to, to help you with that burden. The burden's too much for you to lift. Let me help you with that. In John, in, in John chapter 14 verses 1 through 12 and then, and then verses 16 through 20, he says, I want you to maintain your faith. Stay firm in your faith. These are the six things. Before Jesus dies, these are the six things he tells the disciples. Most of them, he could have told them anything, but these are the most important things. In, in John chapter 14, verses 21 through 24. This is still the, the last supper meal. He says, I want you to keep my word. Keep my word. In John 15, 1 through 8, he says, I want you to bear spiritual fruit. What does he mean, bear spiritual fruit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I want you to, I want you to do that. And in John 14, 13 through 14, and 16, 23 through 24, he says, I want you to pray and believe what you're praying. Pray believing. Prayer is quintessential in being obedient. When you pray, I want you to pray with belief. There's also two other things that Jesus gave his disciples. Absolutely two other things. Now, you'll find a lot of commands in Scripture, but these are the things that Jesus gave his disciples. And I think that those things, they follow through to the church today. In, in Matthew chapter 22, if you want to turn there or else I'll just read it for you. In Matthew 22, uh, here's, what, here's what Jesus gave also to his disciples. Matthew 22, verses 37 through 39. And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This singular command to love God with all heart, soul, and mind, the singular command is the sum total. That passage of Scripture I just read is the sum total of the Ten Commandments. To love God is the first four commandments. To love others is the last six commandments. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the whole sum, sum and substance of the Ten Commandments. But there's one other thing that Jesus gave. And Jesus gave us to his disciples just, just after his crucifixion, and he's being ready to be lifted up into glory. But he says in Matthew 28, listen to this, verses 19 and 20, he says, "'Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that i commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of this age.'" So folks, there you have six things that Jesus says at the last supper meal, and two other things, two other great commandments that he gives the great the great commission the great commandment that Jesus gave those are the eight total things that jesus said, this is what I want you to he told his disciples this is what I want you to do be obedient to them some of yous some of you now i don't know i don 't know who you are you don't need to raise your hand, but some of yous have Profess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but you've never followed through in baptism. That's a command from Christ. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Have you been baptized? It's an act of obedience. If you are a Christian, you ought to want to be baptized. You ought to want to be baptized. It's... It should be a desire of your heart. I'll never forget June the 15th of 1969 when I came to Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. I was 25 years old. I came to meet Christ as my Lord and my Savior on that Sunday morning. And I had this bright gray suit on. I think I'm going to share this with you. And all I could remember, all I could remember about Baptists is that they baptize people. They, they put a robe on you and throw you in the water. That's what I knew about Baptists. I was, I was saved in a Baptist church. I, was, I came out of the Catholic Church into the Baptist Church, and all I said, they're going to get my suit all wet. But my mind is, I don't care. This is what God wants me to do, and I want to do that. Well, they didn't get my suit wet. I had to wait a couple of weeks. But folks, it's an act of obedience. It's an act of obedience. If you are a saved person, you want to be obedient to the Word of God. Jesus says, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Do you recall that when we began our study in 1 John that I spoke about the Gnostics? You know, they had a heretical beliefs. Well, verse 4 is a charge against them. In 1 John 1, 6, they claim to be in fellowship with God, but they said that, uh, but, but their life, rather, their walk with God proved them to be horribly wrong. So in verse 4 of our text, John restates his position on this matter. He says, the one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commands is a liar. The truth is not in him. He's talking about the Gnostics there. If you say that you know him and you're not keeping his commandments, you're lying. We come to verse 5. and John writes, the love of God has truly been perfected. Here Jesus is speaking of our attaining Christian growth and maturity. You've got to grow. One more passage I want to share with you. In Ephesians chapter 4. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, he says, And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. And until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. We're supposed to be growing in Christ. We're supposed to be doing that. You want to do that. When you're a Christian, you want to do what honors God. So in our last last verse, the one who says that he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. I want to focus on this word abide. Abide. It's found in this verse. But also Jesus used it several times in John chapter 15. Listen to what Jesus says about abiding. Jesus says in John 15, verse 4, he says, abide in me. In verse 4, he says, unless it abides in the vine. Verse 4, you abide in me. In verse 5, he who abides in me. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me. Verse 7, if you abide in me. In verse 7, and my words abide in you. Jesus is saying that we need to have union with him. We need to be in, union, in, in, in concert with him. That's the Christian life. As Jesus fully obeyed and honored the Father, he then had total union with him. That is abiding. When you, honor, when, you, when you walk with him, when you obey him, when you honor him, you are abiding in him. Shouldn't we as believers settle for nothing less than our abiding, our obedient, our Christian walk with God? That's what it ought to be. I'm not saying that you need to be a Baptist. I'm not saying you've got to belong to this church. My friend, you need to belong to the kingdom of God. You want to honor God. You want to do what's right that pleases God. It, listen, I'm not saying that you're never going to sin again. Of course we're going to sin but my friends if your desire is to honor God and even if you sin listen you've got an advocate with the Father who faces the Father and say I paid for that sin. 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 My blood is all over this person. I paid for their sin. I ask you this question today. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior? If you don't he's not your advocate. If you don't There's no propitiation for your sins. If you don't know him, there's no way you have a right standing with God. If you don't know him, there's no way you'll enter eternal life. And just like Dante says in in Dante's Inferno, when he looks at the the, the portals of hell, that sign written over the portals of hell says, abandon all hope, all who enter. Abandon all hope. Abandon all hope. Listen, abandon all hope. Once you enter into portals of hell, all the gospel preaching in the world will not save you. Now is the day for salvation. If Christ Christ is not in your life right now, folks, you have this opportunity right now to say, Father, Father, Because what Jesus Christ did for me, I put my trust into him. I repent of my sins. I'm coming to Christ by faith, receiving him as my Lord, my Savior this very day.